Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome back to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza, ready to break down all of the action from Sunday's games with maybe the last remaining believer in Brandon Ayuk's <laughs> 2021 fantasy value. You know who he is. It's Mr. Matt Harmon. We'll find out more about that later. Just hold it, Matt. I know you're chomping on the bit. It's a little pre-show business to get through first. Maybe this week wasn't so great for your squad. We're here to help. Listen, you can go ahead and get yourself an edge with Yahoo Fantasy Plus. We've got a trade hub, a research assistant, cheat sheets, all sorts of deeper extra features on top of the Yahoo Fantasy you already know and love. Get your free trial of Yahoo Fantasy Plus at yahoofantasyfootball.com slash plus. Okay, Matt, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say there's like nothing I want to talk about less than Brandon Ayuk right now. So we can talk. We cool. Can, whichever, whichever you'd like to, whatever you'd like to lead with, except that I'm open to it. <laughs> well, then let's start with the 90s being back because we got scrunchies. We've got warheads in beer. We've got the Raiders and their analog offense working out. At least John Gruden is. Ben Roethlisberger, on the other hand, not so much. The Las Vegas Raiders rolled against these Steelers. I will say that probably the offense was helped by the subtraction of one TJ Watt. Where do you want to start here? Yeah, I actually kind of want to start with the Raiders defense, which uh, interestingly enough is like my biggest takeaway from this game. So far, we've had the Raiders drop you know, two big time AFC contenders, the Steelers, the Ravens, obviously, you know, we know that they got after Lamar on that Monday night game they basically did the same thing to Ben Roethlisberger in this spot they hit him 10 times sacked him twice uh which we know the Steelers offensive line is going to be a problem all year at the very least will be a question mark all year but that was the biggest takeaway to me is that the 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 Raiders defense looks like look they're still going to give up like some big games to running back some big some big plays Najee Harris had a, a, a huge stiff arm of Jonathan Abram yeah. embarrassed him you know it was all over Twitter that was great like those are plays that are still going to happen um, Deontay Johnson caught a 40 plus yard pass in this one like those big plays are still going to be available against Las Vegas but I also think from like a defensive perspective they're going to be good enough to kind of just cause a little bit of chaos to swing things in their way and then on the Raiders offense like Derek Carr Look, leads the NFL in passing yards. No, no quarterback heading into Sunday Night Football has dropped back more than Derek Carr, uh, and he's like uncorking deep balls to Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards on occasion. So, it definitely looks like 
I mean, this is about as good as a start to the season as you could expect from the Raiders, uh, from like a, an evolving from offense and defense perspective, I think. I think you mentioned Brian Edwards. This is a player we were both high on uh, in his rookie season. Not much happened. He has now scored and then had his touchdown called back in back-to-back <laughs> games. So you yeah. have to imagine <laughs> so that it's going to happen sooner or later, right? Like he's got the, the Raiders, I believe, will host the Miami Dolphins. Ouch. Tough scene there, by the way. Mm. Uh, next week. Um, I also want to, so I, I, I'm keeping Edwards on the radar, right? Like I'm not, yeah. I, I just want to make people aware of that because he is getting these high value targets. The Raiders clearly want to get him involved. I'm not sure if I'm starting him unless I'm in a really deep league right away, but I'm certainly not dropping him. He's on the radar. The backfield though, we should talk about because Josh Jacobs, obviously not active for this game, still dealing with the toe and ankle injuries. We talked about him on FFL. You in fact flamed Gruden because he was like, oh, why Kenyon Drake? No. Ah, Peyton Barber. And, you know, going into the match, we couldn't really figure out whether that was like coach speak or Gruden was trying to like, no, he's not throwing you off the scent. In fact, that he Peyton Barber led this backfield with 13 carries over Drake's seven. So um, I, I, hopefully Josh Jacobs is back soon, but we know those toe injuries right. tend to linger. I think the takeaway, though, is like fade this backfield. Don't throw darts trying to figure out which one of these running backs it's going to be. Just ignore the whole situation. Are you on board there? Or are you someone who's going to get that shovel and dig for the diamond in the rough? I'm not going to do that. Yeah, no. Gold, I, I wasn't whatever necessarily... you dig for, the truffles, I don't know. <laughs> I was not necessarily flaming John Gruden this morning as much as like saying like hey that was just a perfect like way to go way to be on brand as possible to hype up Peyton Barber in this spot. And also too like Kenyon Drake, he basically was completely truthful, right? Like, shout out to John Gruden, you know, in a in a world where we're like Bruce Arians, you know, he's telling us about Ronald Jones is going to start and pfft, means nothing. Like, it's a fart in the wind, as meaningless a, as that is. But Bruce Arians, now, take a look from John Gruden here. You know, John Gruden says Peyton Barber is going to be the running back. Kenyon Drake is going to have his little same role as a receiver, whatever the hell they're doing there with him. That's exactly what happened. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um. I mean, if we're going to talk about mind-bending coaching tricks, then I think this is the time to discuss the Shanahanigans. Uh, oh, let's God, move yeah. to the San Francisco <laughs> at Philadelphia game. I, I'm surprised at how low-scoring this game was, actually. I was anticipating more fantasy fireworks. Um, I was expecting more passing volume from Jalen Hurts, to be honest. I mean, he did do a great job on the ground. That's why we love him in fantasy. That's why I believe his price will continue to be depressed in our DFS game because he's not catching up anytime soon. Um, Jalen Rager had a ball, that a touchdown rather, that, was, um, that came back. So did Kenneth yeah. Gainwell. Um, so there was more opportunities for scoring here. And I just want people to like, when they look at the Eagles, like I feel like the performance was better than this score reflects. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts definitely had some l lesser moments as a passer than he did in, in week one, which is to be expected, right? Because he's still a growing right. player. That's not the strength of his game. And this is, for all, I, I said it earlier today on FFL, and I think it's going to continue to be a thing. Like, the 49ers are already in that veteran cornerback, like, churn, where they're just going, you know, they're starting Josh Norman after having him on the team for less than a month. Like, they're they're doing that. But their front their front is still aggressive, still gets after the quarterback, everything like that. So, it's, it, overall, the 49ers defense, for whatever it, it, their problems are there, 
it's better than the Falcons. So we uh, should have expected Jalen Hurst to have a slower passing game. But as you mentioned, still clears 20 fantasy points because of what he does as a rusher. So who who really cares? And um, yeah, overall, though, I did think this game could have been a little more higher scoring. But man, I mean, the 49ers still like just consistently snake bitten by injuries. You know, they got guys going like th- this backfield. Trey Sermon gets one carry. Boom. Immediately hurt. Uh, Eli Mitchell. Eli. Elijah Mitchell. Broke my brain this morning trying to figure that out on the fly. <laughs> I felt like, what the hell is wrong with me? Um, he he gets hurt in this game, too. Uh, Jamichael Hasty, I, I think, was actually injured for a little bit as well. So it's just a constant, I mean, mess of of injuries for the 49ers. And, and you know, it's just it's tough to watch. But I think that was probably a lot of what had um, also, too. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo just still leaving plays on the field. I, I think it's only, I mean, you you wonder. They're, they keep winning games. It's probably going to push the Trey Lance experience off. But you got to think at some point they're going to wonder how much more meat is left on the bone here. Well, especially in this division, right? Like, that's always yeah. what I keep coming. And I don't know, though, with the Seahawks dropping one in overtime today, maybe that just got Jimmy G a little bit more rope. I, I can't help, and this isn't a fantasy take, and I say it all the time, but I can't help but think that Shanahan is – understanding of what um, a trade piece potentially Garoppolo might be. And so if they can squeak some by and save some time with the rookie, give him a couple more reps, give him some, just some game day experience, even if he's not like fully involved, then, you know, maybe he's playing the long game here. Um, From a targets perspective, Debo Samuel, again, beasted over 90 yards, converted six of eight. George Kittle efficient, but you know, quiet for, for, um, your boy, Brandon Ayuk though, two targets, one ball, six yards. What's the deal? I mean, did you, I know, like, I know that no one knows, right. But you, I thought said last week, something that I thought like kind of resonated, like made stuck in my brain at least, which was the rumors that maybe Ayuk and Sermon had broken some curfew rules, had gotten in some rookie foolery and, or well, I guess Ayuk's not a rookie, young guy foolery, let's say. And that was a disciplinary action. We know Ayuk had the soft tissue issue um, previously. I just don't believe for one second that like Trent Sherfield or uh, I don't know, Mohamed Sanu are, are that much better than him. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't believe that for any amount of time. But, I mean, it's right now it does seem like they're rotating these guys. I mean, even even Debo was rotating in and out with, with Mo Sanu and, and, um, and Trent and Sherfield. And I get I – get, it almost feels like in a way we haven't seen the full 49ers yet. You know what I mean? Like that there is yeah. more to come because – these guys are all rotating with each other. They've taken, they've played such kind of a conservative game um, with Garoppolo in of the first two weeks. Obviously, you know it's a, it was a layup in week one. They were going to beat the Lions, although they they did let the Lions back in that game. This one was a little more competitive, but it still felt like it felt like they hadn't really showed all their cards yet. So, I mean, I think the Ayuk thing, like I, I don't believe he's in the doghouse or anything like that. I think they're just rotating these guys and um they are still bringing there like he's basically said like he'll 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 eventually come back to having that full workload or whatever Kyle Shane has said that about Brandon Ayuk and I, I mean it's also the one thing I keep saying too is like yeah they're they're being very conservative with the guy who had a hamstring injury number one hamstring injuries are known to to nag all that Linger, type of stuff yeah. 
and I just said it earlier, this is like the most snake bitten team in the NFL by injuries of late. And it's already starting to creep up again. So I can understand like, yeah, let's keep guys fresh and let's rotate and everything. But I mean, there's no doubt it's a frustrating offense overall for fantasy because I mean, you're probably enjoying the ride here in the first couple weeks with Debo, but you're already seeing that like can can even two pass catchers be like hitting their ceiling in this offense if as, when they're playing like this, you know, when they're playing this type of offense and being so conservative with with Jimmy Garoppolo and everything like that, you know, because Kittle has been a disappointment so far. Like if you drafted George Kittle in the third round, you're not having a good time. Like obviously if you drafted Brandon Ayuk, you're not having a good time. So I wonder too, like do we have faith that it's just going to be Debo all the way through? I I don't. So it's it, – we're – that was this was always possible with this version of the 49ers offense that it was going to be a very frustrating like week to week experience as to who is the guy and, and right now it's Debo but you know it could be Kittle at any point too I, I don't know it's it's definitely a very frustrating offense uh, for fantasy and and we really will never get like I don't know that we'll ever know the full story about what's going on with Ayuk but I also think it can be just as simple as they have been rotating him. He was injured. And then he's at some point going to be back to a normal workload. But who knows? Uh, yeah, it is a myth. It remains a mystery. I do think that his ADP, and I said this a couple of times, was a little bit inflated because he was utilized the most when Kittle and Debo weren't available because they were injured. So maybe there was an inflation there. And Kyle Shanahan was doing the same thing and using what he had at his disposal. Now the other two guys are available. And so... That's where Ayuk lands in the pecking order. Remains to be seen. It will be, I think a lot will be revealed in week three when the 49ers take on the Packers. We'll see which version of the Packers we get. We'll see if they can, in fact, get right on Monday night a little bit later. But I think that's going to be an opportunity where they'll be forced. They won't be allowed. Kyle Shanahan may not be have the luxury of playing as conservatively as he has been. Um, speaking of conservative offenses, the Browns. <laughs> Let's talk about the Browns. They haven't necessarily been conservative. I mean, but the ground game remains the centerpiece of the offense. Nick Chubb, 95 yards and a touchdown. By the way, only on 11 carries. Like, you love to see that. Not even 15 carries, and the guy clears nearly 100 yards. He was also, obviously, he caught one ball for three yards, but that was the bulk of the action in the backfield. Baker Mayfield completed 19-21 for 213 through the air and a touchdown. He also scored a touchdown on the ground. Only one interception. You like to watch that with Baker to see if the uh, correction from 2019 to 2020 remains so far so good. And you say, okay, it's against the Texans, but the Texans are... You know what I appreciate about the Texans? The Texans aren't just laying down. Even when they lose Tyrod Taylor, who started the game balling out and have to move to yeah. the rookie Mills. Yeah, and Tyrod's going to miss week three on Thursday. They've already ruled him out for short, Thursday night yeah. against the Panthers. So, bummer there because, I mean, yeah, Tyrod was on his way to having a really nice little stretch here. I mean, he was playing extremely well against the Browns in a revenge game. Um, but, look, I, I and I think that's the thing where we might owe the Texans a little bit of an apology. I still think their defense is not very good. I think like, you know, you give up 90 yards on 11 carries to Nick Chubb. Obviously Nick Chubb is great back and you know, Baker Mayfield, they have a good. Lovey Smith is hearing you. Lovey Smith and his beard wants you to (laughs) take a pause on that. I I get it, but I still think over the long haul, their personnel is just not good enough on that side of the ball, but on offense, like it's a weird collection of players, but Brandon cooks is a good starting receiver 
know, Tyra Taylor's not a joke of a quarterback. You know, it's not like they're starting, I don't know, Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard, like these Niners randos that cycled in and out over the years. Like he's a bottom level, like he's on that fringe of great backup and passable starter for a, for a few months or something like that. Like that's who Tyrod is. So it's not surprising that him with cooks and, you know, a couple other pieces there are actually putting together a decent little offense. But yeah, I, I, I think they're in trouble though, against the Panthers who we could talk about the Panthers later, but they've really impressed me through the first two weeks, especially on defense. So yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Shout out to Brandon cooks though, who was, a very underdrafted player uh, this year based on all the chaos that was going on in Houston. If you took him in like the mid rounds or whatever, you're absolutely profiting so far. I don't know if that's going to stick with the old Davis mills back there, but um, yeah, I don't know. We will see. I remember volume is volume is King and all Brandon cooks does is clear a thousand yards, no matter per season, no matter what team he's on or which team he's on. Uh, one note for Cleveland that we didn't mention Jarvis Landry left this contest with an injury. Yeah. So again, the ground game remains the focal point and the ball gets spread around. This time it was Austin Hooper who led the receiving core with looks. That's not something you can count on. It's efficient. Like I think, I think that's what I keep coming back with with the Browns is that like they're efficient. They make it work. They put Baker in situations where he can't really make giant mistakes. And even though he got knocked out for a series or two, he came back. So um, I think we're going to continue to monitor the Landry situation and obviously the OBJ situation, but the Browns are proving that they don't necessarily need their one or two receivers, the one and two receivers to um, get a win. Yeah. Um, Denver. Let's move along to Denver at Jacksonville. So two major takes. Teddy Bridgewater has been underrated, and holy cow, does Jacksonville suck. <laughs> Jacksonville is not good. Jacksonville is not good. Uh, Derek Carr, uh, heading into Sunday Night Football, leads the NFL in air yards for passers. Trevor Lawrence is second, but you wouldn't really know it. I mean, there's been some splash plays there and everything like that, but Jacksonville's defense is especially bad. So, mm. you know, Teddy Bridgewater has looked really good through the first two games. That's been very encouraging. I think the biggest encouraging thing from this game in particular was Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton, you know, all yes. off season, there's been sort of this like, well, he's kind of coming back a little slow, you know, whatever. Uh, Tim Patrick scores the touchdown. Uh, that was great to see if you had to start him. I had to start him in a bunch of spots. I had to start him because I was like, I'm not playing Brandon Ayuk again until I see him do something. So let me start Tim Patrick over Brandon Ayuk. Um, so that was great to see for Tim Patrick. But the key here is Cortland Sutton, who leads the team in targets, leads the team in routes run, has over 100 yards on, I think, nine catches, and also averaged over 20 air yards per target. Like, the fact that he was – this is a Teddy Bridgewater offense, and Cortland Sutton is averaging over 20 air yards per target. That's great to see. Uh, this team needs Cortland Sutton to be Cortland Sutton while Jer- Jerry Judy's out of the mix because suddenly, if Judy's out of the mix – and Cortland Sutton is like a C plus version of himself. Then it's like, uh, all right, this this skill position group is 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 still okay with Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler. No fan, but if Sutton is back up to the form that he was playing at at 2019, even without Jerry Judy, it's a good collection of talent around Teddy Bridgewater. So you know, next week, good matchup as well. I, I think that Sutton will be right in that number two. They're, they're playing the Jets next week. He'll be in that wide receiver two discussion and uh, somebody that you're probably starting for sure. The backfield, by the way, still a split between the rookie Javante Williams and the vet Melvin Gordon, though Melvin Gordon Straight has a slight split. edge. 
slight edge uh, in the passing game, had a really impressive 30-yard catch. Um, and he seems, even last week he pulled off a long run. This week he did it again. So I feel like we're going to get that until we don't out of Gordon. But yes, it is a 50-50 split. Something encouraging, I suppose you could say, from the Jacksonville backfield was that Carlos Hyde was silenced. Only two carries for him. It was James Robinson who took the top spot, finally, thankfully, again, with 11 carries, 47 yards. You think that's good, except I don't think game script is ever going to go in Robinson's favor in this situation, especially given the stat you uh, mentioned at the top of us talking about this matchup. So... You know, it's nice to see that he's getting the volume. I just don't... Well, it's nice to see that he's leading the backfield in touches. I just don't think he's going to lead the position fantasy-wise for any real value. No, yeah. It's just tough when you're... Like, Hyde will still mix in at at some point, right? Like, he's not going to lead the team in touches every week like he did in week one. He's still going to mix in at some point. And when you're splitting that backfield on a team that's already not very good and doesn't have a good defense, like, that is going to be pretty troubling. My guy, Marvin Jones, still beasting. Put some respect on his name. This, by the way, the the respect underrated receiver showdown in this matchup between Tim Patrick and Marvin Jones. You love to see it. I also, I mean, even I, I even Liz, even comparing uh, Marvin Jones to Tim Patrick is like kind of disrespectful to Marvin Jones. I mean, Tim Patrick's like a good quality player, but we're talking about like underrated potential, like every year starter to maybe Tim Patrick is the Lions' number one receiver next year. Underrated. Fair enough, but I spent a good portion of last week defending Marvin Jones to DJ Chark truthers. So, (laughs) and this week defending Tim Patrick to KJ Hamler truthers. So, I like both these guys. I like their their touchdown appeal. They both found the end zone this week. Matt's right. Obviously, Marvin Jones is a more electric of the two receivers. This next matchup is exciting for me because I said on Thursday's podcast, y'all probably listened on Friday, with Dalton Del Don, that a lot would be revealed and that I felt like the New Orleans at Carolina game could get out of hand and this was just the perfect set of circumstances that would allow for Jameis Winston to come back down to earth. And oh my gosh, this was my, that was my best take of the whole week. Like I should probably just stop recording right now. It was... I don't even, like, want to root against him because he's so funny. Like, he's so great for content creation. But 11 of 22, two interceptions, four sacks, just over 110 yards. You mentioned the Carolina defense. I talked him up with Charles Robinson on his pod a couple of weeks ago. Like, I think the Carolina Panthers are going to play spoiler in the NFC South, and I am here for it. Yeah, after pressuring Zach Wilson on 50% of his dropbacks in week one, the Panthers once again put a lot of heat on Jameis Winston, hit him 10 times, picked him off twice. Like, look, people don't change that much. Like, people are who they are. Uh, Jameis Winston at some point was going to have this type of game. And I think this is, like, impressive for Carolina's defense, too, because you look at, obviously, Zach Wilson – playing behind not a very good offensive line he's a rookie quarterback he's going to make some mistakes Zell Zach Wilson made a lot of mistakes today um but and James Winston's a mistake prone quarterback but the Saints offensive line is very very good so like to see Brian Burns and Shaq Thompson and all these young Everywhere. defensive players at Carolina yeah all these guys like getting after it against a good offensive line and a good coaching staff too was extremely encouraging so 
I think we've seen both of the extreme sides of variance here for the Saints offense. Like there's going to be weeks, like maybe not exactly how they looked against the Packers, like five touchdowns on such few pass attempts. That's not probably going to happen again, but there's going to be big efficient weeks like that. And then there's also going to be weeks like this where it's a mess, where it's an overall mess. And um, shout out to your guy, Sam Darnold, Liz, who looks in control and content and comfortable in Joe Brady's offense. He's thrown just 13.7% of his passes into tight windows so far. Things look a lot different when you've got Chris McCaffrey and DJ Moore and like a good offensive coordinator. I mean, you mentioned that obviously Sean Payton and the Saints are one of the best coach slash coached teams in the league. Like, I I think that Matt Royal and, and Joe Brady are doing one hell of a job coaching. Like, they are coaching up this entire squad at an incredible level. And, you know, good coaching matters isn't necessarily a hot take, but... Sam Darnold's performance in back-to-back weeks is evidence that it does matter. Like, it is important. And watching him look comfortable, not mistake-free, but take two sacks and still answer for over 300 yards and two touchdowns and, you know, have Christian McCaffrey lifting the whole thing, as we talked about last week, but also feeding DJ Moore and and not needing the Robbie Anderson connection as much is evidence, I think, of his growth. Yeah, I think DJ Moore is on his way to a big breakout season. He's had a couple good games in a row here. Uh, yeah, so I, I, if you drafted him in like round four, round five, something like that, you got to you gotta be feeling pretty good right now. The Rams at Indianapolis was an interesting game. I will say if I was right about Jameis coming back down to earth, I was wrong that Michael Pittman would struggle in this one. You know, it's so frustrating because I'm I'm such a Pittman truther. I, know, I love right? his game. But I really <laughs> thought like when I looked at the matchup and I looked at last week and, and I thought about the ankle injury, like I was like, oh, like let's wait till week three. And then he beasts like he's strong. He's physical. He's all of the things we know him to be in this matchup. Yeah. I mean, this was a complete true number one receiver effort from Michael Pittman drew 12 targets, delivered 123 yards on eight catches. He made big plays, a 42 yard bomb from the slot. That was encouraging to see also just a variety of like, layup chunk matriculate the offense type of routes like slants hitches digs like i went back and just watched all of his catches and it was really an it was an encouraging performance from michael pittman who looked the part of a number one receiver against one of if not the best defenses in the entire nfl so if you have michael pittman on your team and, and you got this game on your bench I think you you got to just feel okay with it because it means that your pick your, of Michael Pittman is probably going to work out. So over the long term, I think that's probably more important. The thing is, of course, now we've got Carson Wentz with an injury. He, he's got an ankle injury. He's scheduled to undergo some more tests, whatever. Didn't come back in late in the game. I don't know. That that part's frustrating, but they do get the Titans next week, and uh, we can confirm that Titans defense is still very, very bad. And they're going to be gassed heading into a third week after five quarters. Um, That's a good point. I think you're right, too. And I think that seeing a, you said it perfectly, like an alpha experience out of Pittman makes me more bullish on him, even if we have to deal with the Jacob Eason experience. Um, You know, in our Yahoo, what is it, the FFL Guru Challenge, our DFS challenge for Fantasy Football Live, I noticed that you started Henderson for the Rams, and that looked really, really solid. Um, Were you at all 
not shook by, but were your eyebrows raised when you saw Sony Michelle coming in so much towards the end of the game, given that the score was so close? Well, Henderson did have like a rib injury or something like that. And I mean, this is kind of the constant theme with Daryl Henderson yeah. is there's always some sort of injury, something popping up, whatever, whatever. So yeah, that part of it is like, obviously any, well, that, I mean, listen for DFS, I was like, I just don't, I guess let's get, let's get the touchdown. This is a good game script, whatever. <laughs> like, I don't care. You didn't care about it after that. He is on a few of my season long teams. So, I mean, I do, I would like to see Daryl Henderson hold this good job or whatever, but over the, yeah, you, you, anytime Sony Michelle comes in and has like a couple big moments or whatever, you're going to get that feeling of like, how long is this really going to last with the whole Daryl Henderson thing? And I mean, I think that's how this backfield is going to go though. It's going to be like, this is a Daryl Henderson stretch. This is a Sony Michelle stretch. This is a Daryl Henderson stretch. This is a Sony Michelle stretch. Like if Henderson's rib injury is serious or, or, um, you know, we, we get some more alarming signs out of it this coming week. We could see Sony Michelle with the big workload at any point. I mean, I think that's very much in the range of outcomes. I was really impressed by the Colts defense. Darius Leonard just disrupting everything, ruining everything, especially because the Rams looked so lifted with Matt Stafford under center. Um, and that seemed to come back down to earth a little bit. You know, um, I think there was obviously some defensive adjustments between weeks one and weeks two for the Colts. Are you at all nervous about any piece of this Rams offense outside of the Henderson slash Michelle experience? Like, like Stafford, 19 of 30. We know that Cup is his guy. He has scored in back-to-back weeks more numerous times. And yeah, yeah. Robert Woods is still, Robert Woods is still like, you know, the second guy, but he's seeing nine targets in this one. I, I was, I, I guess I was just surprised it wasn't more, and it's, I know I'm going to get flamed for this, but like Cooper Cup has 163 yards and two touchdowns, but it still didn't feel like as efficient of an experience as I was anticipating. Yeah, especially because they get off such kind of like a hot start. But it is worth, I mean, this is like a huge change for Matt Stafford and obviously all this all the sunshines and rainbows are going to continue to happen out of these guys because they're so excited to be working with other each other, Matthew Stafford, Sean McVay, blah, blah, blah. But it is still a learning process and like there's going to be some slower moments and all that. But yeah, I mean, to me, it is just the takeaway here is Cooper Cup, man. Like he's he's going to be like a top 10 fantasy receiver this year. He's going to be a huge bargain. I had I had Cup ranked over Woods heading into this year. I did um, not. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was kind of that was an against the grain move because a lot of people were really excited about Woods from an air yards perspective. But um, we'll see. I mean, Woods is fine. Like he's going to he's going to be fine. It's not a big deal. But yeah, I was just cup this like I think just the ease of his targets, the 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 way that he's always just schemed open against own coverage. I mean, for God's sakes, is I don't know if it was his first or second touchdown. He it was like running a go route out of the damn backfield. Like nobody does that at wide receiver in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, this was a. Uh, Really encouraging for Cooper Cup, but definitely does remind you that there's going to be some variance, even for guys like I was so excited about Tyler Higby coming into this game um, and this season, <laughs> like one catch for eight yards. So yikes, tough scene there. You mentioned a rib, a rib injury for Henderson. I think the biggest rib injury for the week has to be to Tua to Tungavailoa. Uh, the Dolphins were shut out by Buffalo, who certainly bounced back from their week one loss to Pittsburgh. I don't really even know where to start here because the Dolphins just looked so lost with Jacoby Brissett behind that offensive line. And it really did also just remind me of the Brissett has so much more size than Tua and that O-line has so many young pieces. And this is still a player Tua I'm talking about um, who is 
recently removed from a potentially catastrophic career altering hip injury. So yeah, I don't. I was I was really disappointed for the injury, not just because of the player and I want him to be hurt, but because this whole squad really seemed to be ahead of the rebuild schedule that they were on. And you have to imagine that this puts them back. Yeah, it's apparently too is in a lot of pain. I think there's going to be more tests and everything going forward. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's not great. Like the Dolphins definitely are not. It's not as clean as, as you'd want it, right? Like Tua taking that next. Even in their first game, I thought there were some moments. Like there are some moments where Tua looks great and like he's running a smooth, clean offense. And then there's other moments where it's like, what the hell are you doing, bro? Like it's always going to be some of those moments. It seems like. Um, but you know, we've got Will Fuller who's away from the team for. Personal reasons, Jalen Waddle looks good in in stretches for sure, but they would have ideally wanted like Will Fuller, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Parker all popping off at once. It doesn't look like they're going to get that. Um, The offensive line, one of their linemen said today, like, yeah, you know, we're we're a young offensive line that's still growing and still trying to figure out, but at some point we have to not have that be an excuse. It's like, yeah, that's true. I'm not very encouraged from what I've seen out of the Dolphins offense the first couple of weeks and i mean with jacoby Brissett, it's like kind of forget it i know Brissett said he does not view himself as a backup quarterback but i don't know this is not this does not look like a very good offensive ecosystem right now that's what i'll say when you can't even get your kicker into field goal range and none of your receivers clear 50 yards there's a problem yeah yeah exactly not not very good there um and the backfield is still like a straight up just split among all these guys so there's nothing going on there it's definitely not a team that we're looking to for a lot of fantasy value right now and then on the other side too i was actually almost like i have josh allen in a lot of fantasy leagues and i'm like how does josh allen only have 17 points when they like (laughs) kick the out of the bill i mean the dolphins like this but it's because the running backs actually got to score some touchdowns devin singletary rips off the long run zach moss comes back from the inactive list uh, does the reverse Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon comes off the inactive list. One carry, one injury. Boom, that's the end of that. Uh, Zach Moss, not a healthy scratch here in week two. Scores twice. I, I think overall, like the the Bills passing offense is what moved them, you know, down the field. That's still the the, the, the base of this offense. I'm not really, I, I'm, I'm not chasing these Buffalo running backs, but it was like pretty surprising that they, um, you know, beat up on the Dolphins in this way. Like almost, there's still some, I think you would go back and watch that game against the Steelers in week one. Like, I think that it was almost like people were too hard on Josh Allen coming out of that game. I know he hasn't had the huge, like monster fantasy games to start the year, but I'm still very encouraged from what I've seen out of him so far. Note about Zach Moss though. He did lose a costly fumble before he found the end zone twice. So like, I'm not, you know, that all of that stuff matters obviously to coaches. So I'm not really sure that we can say like, Oh, it's here. Zach Moss season. No, Um, no. And I agree with you. If you're to me, I agree with you. It is Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs that are leading this whole. Some weeks you're going to have Beasley. We know Beasley's going to be efficient. We know his, you know, we know his YPR is going to be low. Emmanuel Sanders has six targets, doesn't really deliver on much, but he's involved. I think we're on the same page, though, that it is the passing game and it is led by Stefan Diggs. Manny Sanders, I had his player prop over 47 and a half receiving yards. I think he got 48. So. W. (laughs) (laughs) W. Well, um, the Patriots got a giant W over the Jets. I think who got like 
the upside down W turned sideways to an L, if that's a thing. I just made it a thing, I guess, uh, was Zach Wilson because four interceptions, four sacks. He got beat the stink up last week. And this kid is not. I mean, we talked about Tua not having size. Zach Wilson certainly doesn't have size. Obviously, the Makai Becton absence is massive. And you have to think that, and, and I know that everyone wants to believe that Zach Wilson isn't this guy and that he's, you know, tough of mind and has the heart of a lion and all of that. But this is also a young quarterback who's used to having wide open space to operate yeah. mm-hmm. at BYU that from like the neck up, this is going to start to percolate and get to him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of a pretty easy buzzsaw to see coming, even if you like Zach Wilson and kind of the bones of this Jets offense, which I do like the bones of this Jets offense. I mean, I like Corey Davis. I like Elijah Moore. You know, Michael Carter actually had a pretty decent game, you know, adjusted for expectations here, but he had a pretty decent game here out of this backfield. I don't know that I'm chasing any of that, but it's worth at least keeping your eye on Michael Carter to see if he kind of keeps developing or whatever. But I mean, like I said, I like the bones of this offense, but this was Bill Belichick against a rookie quarterback who, as you mentioned, he ain't used to like guys being around him in the pocket. He's not used to like, you know, the hero balls always not, you know, those weren't 50, 50 balls at BYU he was, he was, he was making them like 80, 20 balls, you know, some of those YOLO throws he was putting up. So things look a lot different when you're playing the Patriots uh, defense with Bill Belichick behind a bad offensive line. So kind of, it's a tough pill to swallow. If you're a Jets fan that got excited about Zach Wilson in the preseason, but um, there's definitely going to be days like this for this version of the 2021 Jets offense. And next week, they'll travel to Mile High to take on the Broncos. And even if Bradley Chubb doesn't make it onto the field because he did get injured in week two, I mean, still, like, that is just got to give somebody the yips. Yeah, absolutely. Not a good, like, starting, not a smooth starting schedule here for Zach Wilson. Uh, It is worth noting Corey Davis did take um, responsibility, whether, you know, he deserves to or not. He took, like, some responsibility on the second Zach Wilson interception. We love self-awareness on this podcast, so (laughs) extra points, Um, but none for your fantasy squad. We also know that Bill Belichick, what does he do? He takes the number one thing and he erases it. And Corey Davis, if we're looking at last week, was the number one thing. One, two, three. Producer all around. But Damian Harris, I think this is important. He answered the stinking call. Not only did he find the end zone, but he found it like a boss. 16 carries, 62 yards, one touchdown. Uh, He only had one catch through the air. That was all James White as well. James White found the end zone too. But it is worth noting that Ramondre Stevenson, that rookie who had all of the buzz, was a healthy scratch for this game. So it looks like Harris has absolved himself of the costly red zone fumble from week one. Agreement. Okay. Agree. (laughs) I was like, wait, you're nodding. And I'm like, is he going to? Say something. No. All right. Um, no, yes, you nailed it. What I got nothing else to add except, uh, yes, you know, same goes for me double. <laughs> same goes for me double is my favorite response. And there are a couple of things that seemed like they might be my favorites in this Chicago versus Cincinnati matchup. Um, namely, hopping in, get it, to the Justin Fields era for the Bears. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not quite how you planned it. Not quite yeah. how you planned it to happen, but um, I thought it I might guess look Matt- a little better, honestly. Too, you know. 
Yeah, I'm not worried about that, though. I mean, th- this is the problem with not really allowing this to be a full actual competition is that Justin Fields has, like, no experience with these guys, you know? Like, is that the first couple of passes he's ever thrown to Allen Robinson? Probably. Potentially, yeah. Potentially. Right? Like, that's the well, that's the problem when, when the Bears do this whole stupid, like, it's Andy Dalton no matter what, is that Justin Fields gets no reps with the ones, you know? So, in this, obviously, yeah, I definitely would have liked it to look a little bit better, especially against a defense in the Bengals that has, like, a ceiling of average at best. Uh, but still, yeah, I do think it's worth noting that part of it with Justin Fields, at least. Well, so that I think is the biggest was the biggest. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that's where I was the most disappointed, because given the matchup, especially because he looked crisp against the Rams. Right. And if we're looking at the Rams yeah. defense, we're looking at the Rams. And granted, that was a limited capacity that he saw the field against the Rams. So he probably knew those options were coming. Right. But against the Bengals, you're just sort of thrown in. He hasn't had the whole playbook at his disposal, and now he does have it. He did still, you know, manage 10 carries for over 30 yards, so you love to see that for fantasy. I think we're going to see him grow in. It'll be interesting to see what the Dalton injury looks like and how they play it, frankly, how severe they make it sound and whether or not we are going to switch gears and move to uh, the Justin Fields era. They do have the Browns next week. Browns defense pretty good, at least up front. Um, And then... Week four, Justin Fields, I have to imagine, will be under center because of the matchup is against the Lions. So, like, that just against feels... Against the Lions, yeah. Right. Yeah. That feels well, like a good time. Joe... Feels it does like a feel good like a good time to make that switch. For someone who is not a Detroit fan, let's say. Um, let's move to Joe Burrow, though, because this game was at a stalemate for a long time. It was, it was kind of... It was really boring. It was barely on the Red Zone channel because there was very little going on. But then towards the end, uh, Joey B showed everybody that he was back and connected with Jamar Chase for a gorgeous 42-yard score. And then, moments later, found T. Higgins. You and I went, uh, we battled in a fantasy face-off against these two receivers, and I don't know, I think we both won. Like, they both scored. T. Higgins had more catches for six more yards, but you love to see both of these receivers finding the end zone. Yeah, I mean, I think that we both said at least twice during our face-off on FFL this morning, like, yeah, we like both of these guys. So we were basically <laughs> setting... <laughs> <laughs> setting up to be good either way um but yeah no both these guys had good games i mean even tyler boyd caught seven passes for over 70 yards mm-hmm. like these guys even despite the fact that joe burrow didn't have his cleanest game you know wasn't wasn't quite as good as it looked uh against against the vikings in week one all of these guys still basically hit for fantasy like if you played tyler boyd for 15 bucks in in yahoo dfs you were feeling pretty good he was a pretty popular play this week you were feeling pretty good about the way that this ended up. So, yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't quite the offensive fireworks that you'd expect, but also worth noting, Joe Mixon saw still a full workload. No other running back recorded a rush. Uh, he he is clearly still holding that RB1 workhorse type of uh, role. I, I was expecting, I mean, the Bears defense still secondary-wise is going to be a bit of a problem, but this was a more impressive performance than I was expecting out of them. So that was that was good to see for the Bears. They certainly seemed to stiffen up. I agree with that. If you were speaking of awesome plays in DFS, Mike Evans crushed it, converting five of nine for 75 and two of Tom Brady's five touchdowns. I just had a feeling 
that this is what the Tampa Bay offense is going to look like. Like, who's involved this week? I think Chris Godwin probably has the safest floor. If you look at his usage, he can be deployed from a numerous amount of places. We know that Mike Evans, usually speaking volume-wise, has a smaller volume, but most of those high-value looks. And uh, Antonio Brown, if you're chasing it, like some week it's going to be Antonio Brown, some week it's going to be Mike Evans, and you're always going to see some Chris Godwin. I don't think I anticipated this, uh, to quote our colleague Scott Pianowski, this Gronk renaissance happening, though. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> this is exactly how it ex- – I, I, I actually could probably just go same same goes for me double here on all that analysis, Liz, but I'll, I'll participate in the podcast and, and be, be a good employee here. Um, over, <laughs> I guess. Uh, overall, though, like this is exactly what I think you're going to get out of the Bucks. Like it, it's a bit of a receiver roulette here with these guys, but like you got to spin the wheel, man, because this ceiling and this offense is so high. Nine touchdowns for Brady over the first two weeks. Like this was, I, I think – we as a community were definitely way too far out on Gronk. I mean, he saw he was on some waiver wires heading into Week One, and uh, you know maybe it's really a, it really is a great case for employers. Like you should let your employees take a year away. Like just take take a what what do they uh, call them? A sabbatical. A sabbatical for like college professors. I mean, I think they go out and like yes. study their um their 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 craft. You know, they they write some papers or whatever. We could be we'll, we, us fantasy writers. We could do like um, we'll write like long forms. You know, we'll study historical in trends. like Ibiza or something. I gotta follow the trends in like Europe. I gotta backpack across Europe and follow those trends and statistics are statistics, man. So yeah, well, I mean, I see no reason to leave the good old continental United States, but that's that's fine. You go you go to Europe if you if you so choose. But <laughs> I do I do just Please, think like I'm out. This, <laughs> this, this, uh, this offense is just going to be too good to not spin that wheel. You know, obviously, AB is kind of the guy that has a slower game after crushing it in week one. Like, you're right, though, that probably that's why I had Gronk ranked the highest of these three coming into the year. That I think he has the steadiest role, the most secure role. Like, we know what we're going to get out of Gronk uh, and, and Chris Godwin in their particular roles. Every single week, I do think there will be some flipping between Mike Evans and Antonio Brown, but that still will probably point us to that uh, Antonio Brown was a pretty big value in drafts. Like if he's going to be that close to a guy that was going multiple rounds ahead of him and Mike Evans, like that's just really good news. And it all just comes back to Brady, too, who is is was like the only non rushing quarterback that I was excited to draft in the single digit rounds. And this is exactly why, because we, this, this, this collection of weapons is stupid. It's stupid. Good. What they have there right now. I mean, if Gronk is going to play like 2011 Gronk, and then you're going to get, you know, Antonio Brown, not quite playing at like peak of his powers, Antonio Brown, when he was like a top five receiver to ever play pro football, but he's still, an ex an excellent starting receiver that's always open. You've got Mike Evans still square in the prime of his career. Chris Godwin, I think, is still an ascending player. Amen. That's yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, that's unbelievable. Well, next week, next week the Bucks play the Rams, and so you know that the presumptive thought, the like, the plug and play analysis is going to be oh, Mike Evans was hot. In week two, he's going to come down because of Jalen Ramsey in week three. I just looked it up so that all of our listeners have a jump 
on <laughs> next week's game. Last year, when the Bucks played the Rams, Evans, with Jalen Ramsey on him for most of his coverage, converted five of nine for a touchdown with 120 air yards, by the way. And that was a game in which Chris Godwin was on the field and also drew 10 targets. So that was with Jared Goff under center, right? So, like, I can't hey, wait hey. to see what Vegas puts on this game. It is going to be a good one. Um, do we want to talk about Atlanta at all? Because I got to be honest, <laughs> Tank Williams and I were texting for a lot of this um, for a lot of this match, and I was like, "So about that Kyle Pitts take that I had? Um, I think I think you were right about Gronk, and you know, Tank Perhaps. has just been like throwing a lot of cold water all over Matty Ice, and there were moments where Matt Ryan, like he scrambled for a touchdown, like after he didn't convert on a quarterback sneak, but like it was still, it was a very up and down effort. I think what's most concerning to me, like you see Calvin Ridley get his finally, it took 10 targets, but he's going to see that kind of volume because like, that's what this defense is going to give you. And you see Kyle Pitts go for over, over 70 yards on five catches, but like, there's just no, there's just no juice here outside of Corderell Patterson tilting everyone. I mean, Man, if you drafted <laughs> I Mike, Matt Nagy. Yeah, right, right. Uh, just another chess piece. Him and Justin Fields, basically the same role in the offense, just the chess piece. Um, good God. Uh, if you drafted Mike Davis in like round five or round six, you got to just feel like puking your whole or all of your organs out whenever you see CP out there doing stuff. But hey, you know what? Like you mentioned it. This offense, when you looked at it on paper, it's like, okay, yeah, we love Calvin Ridley. We love the potential of Kyle Pitts, but, like, gross. All these psychos out there that were like, oh, yeah, Russell Gage. That'll be a great pick in the late rounds. (laughs) Russell Gage, give me a break. Like, what are we talking about here? This offense needed juice. And even Mike Davis, as good as Mike Davis was last year, they needed something else there. It's like, of course they got to turn to Cordero Patterson, who for all of his flaws as a true receiver or whatever, has always brought some electricity. Like, I mean, Arthur Smith's a good coach and he just going to have to do something here to get, get some more juice out of this offense. Like, I don't think Cordero Patterson is going away. I think the, I, he was a feature, no. a featured piece in week one. He's going to be, he was a piece obviously in this week too. I think he's going to continue to get, a lot of passes thrown his way. He's going to get some rush attempts. I don't need to see him in the wildcat again, though. That was the moment where I was like, okay, let's, we don't need to do this. No, I I agree with you. That was a little bit messy. Um, Let's move along to the Cardinals game against the Vikings, because I mean, if we're talking about just fun, the Cardinals are the most entertaining team to watch. And the Vikings have got to be, I was like, is this team, is this going to go into overtime? Are we going to see the Vikings in OT, lose in OT? Like, are they going to play five quarters every single week? Almost. <laughs> they fell to the Cardinals by a point. Kyler Murray passes. Like, this isn't his total yardage. He passes for 400 yards, three touchdowns. He also runs one in, a four-touchdown effort with another 30 yards on the ground. I think the biggest story for fantasy purposes, though, like, you know, Kyler Murray, like, if you drafted him, congratulations. This one is bearing out. I have him in the Scott Fishbowl. I've never been happier, especially because I drafted both J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. So it is Kyler Murray carrying the Cardinals and my squad. He's also doing it with rookie Rondell Moore. And the point I want to make about Moore is that, like, there was a very clear drumbeat leading up to this massive 114-yard and touchdown 
drumbeat, like performance that we saw, right? We, he had preseason buzz, summer buzz. Andy and Scott talked him up on the pickups pod last week. He is still available in 68% of Yahoo leagues. He has one touchdown on the stat sheet. He also had another one that was basically like punched out by a Vikings defender. I love seeing him ascend. And yes, AJ Green found the end zone in this one, but like stock down on green stock all the way up on more. Yeah. I mean, more has got juice. He's electric. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you could even, I mean, he, the problem for Rondale Moore coming into this week was that he was behind all of these guys in terms of total routes run. And, but you still like, he averaged like 15 yards after the catch per reception. Like it was a, still an extremely good showing out of week one for Rondale Moore. And I mean, the good news here is that even if Rondale Moore might be a little hit or miss or whatever, like I agree, this is a big breakout for him and he's a huge piece of this offense. Like this offense last year was just like Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins go do some stuff. Like that's, that's all we've got. Now the Cardinals have Kyler Murray averaging 11 yards per attempt. That's huge because we've called this a small ball offense for no reason, really, for a long – I mean, well, there's a reason we're calling it that. There's no reason it should be a small ball offense with the arm talent like Kyler Murray back there. But now they've got Rondale Moore. You know, Christian Kirk is a, a really fine number three receiver. You know, he's fine in that role. He's he's probably not fit to be a traditional number two or a full-time starter or anything, but – He's really good. He's made another big play, a 35-yard catch in this one as they were trying to push to win the game. Um, mm-hmm. A.J. Green did score a touchdown. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins still caught all four of his targets for 54 yards and a touchdown. Max Williams, that one's the ra- – I mean, that's the rando one. But, I mean, Two Max X's. Williams. Yeah, Ma- Max double X Williams, uh, seven targets, seven catches, 94 yards, a touchdown. Like, that's, that's great that we've just – or no touchdown, sorry, but just the 97 yards. Like – And even Chase Edmonds still doing his thing out of the backfield as a receiver. Like Kyler Murray's now finally surrounded with a lot of guys that are playmakers, especially Rondale Moore. And then these guys like Christian Kirk and AJ Green can fill into their roles so that it's not all just on like Kyler to make things happen with DeAndre Hopkins. I also think they're in a division and with a coach that cannot afford to pull a Mike McCarthy and put his foot on the ga- on, on the brakes. Like, yes. they need to keep pushing. They cannot afford to play conservatively. And even when they do, I mean, Kyla runs, right? Like, so there's, I, I think that that, when I look at um, the division and I look at how tight it is, I think this only benefits fantasy because the Cardinals are never going to be the team that are like, we got this and they can set back. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope because they're definitely a fun offense for fantasy right now. That's for sure. On the other side of things, uh, Minnesota, like I thought that Kirk Cousins could be a top 15 quarterback in fantasy this week because I I mean, the list, the list of injuries on the Vikings defense was like longer. I said this on FFL longer than one of those receipts from CBS. Cousins is going to have to throw. He went for almost 250 and three touchdowns. And he managed, we've seen him scramble when he was with Washington, he scrambled. uh, He managed another 35 on the ground. But I think the biggest takeaway is that like Adam Thielen isn't regressing, not when the offense needs to be this productive and they can't quite lean on the defense the way that I think Mike Zimmer certainly hoped they could. 
No, uh, Dalvin Cook like kind of banged up for different parts of this game too, so that's times, something yeah. to watch. Yeah, I mean n- nothing serious or whatever, but definitely something to watch there. Um, Justin Jefferson is still a star too. Ten targets, scored a touchdown. KJ Osborne is KJ Osborne a thing? I think we have to consider it. I mean, yeah. I, I think we've been talking about who's going to be the number three in this offense. Oh, it doesn't really matter because the defense is supposed to stiffen in year two. Those young pieces were supposed to get better. Well, the injury bug has bitten. And so now, I mean, I don't know, in week three, the Vikings host the Seahawks. And we talked about Russ feeding the family in week one. Like, I think this might be another opportunity where the Vikings have to pass more than Certainly, like I said before, like, you know, Mike Zimmer's like, oh, my God, can he please stop throwing the damn ball? Can we please, can we please just tamp it down 20%? (laughs) I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the Seahawks, though, because they lost in overtime to the Titans, who bounced back. Ryan Tannehill passed for an almost 350 yards, but no passing touchdowns. I think the biggest story is that we saw King Henry, after a slow start to the season and a slow start to this game, start to find his mojo again. 35 carries, 182 yards, three ground yeah. touchdowns, but even bigger than that, the most tilting thing, like if Cordell Patterson is the most tilting thing that happens to you all week, Derrick Henry converting six of six through the air for 55 has got to be the second most tilting thing. I mean, you know, I'm a big Derrick Henry guy. That was exciting. It's like even just a couple of those like little screen passes. Like, I don't understand why no coaching staff is. I'm not going to be here like way to go, Todd Downing. You you nailed this one. But I mean, for Ryan Tannehill, like put these little screen passes, everything that you saw from Henry today, it's like. Of course, like he can do that. Just throw him the ball and let him run behind a couple blockers and slaughter people in the open field. That's what we want. That's like, that is Derrick Henry. Why wouldn't you get him some of those looks in the passing game in previous years? Like that's going to probably prolong his career rather than just slamming it up the gut all the time. So I thought that was great to see. It looked like we were on way to another really slow outing uh, for the Tennessee Titans. I was feeling really good about on our Yahoo Sportsbook live show. I basically told Minty, I was like, oh. Seahawks minus six and a half. I'm loving that because I did not like what I see out of the Tennessee Titans. I was feeling pretty good in that first half. Obviously, the end result, uh, not as much. Uh, But yeah, Derrick Henry looking great here. Uh, A.J. Brown let a couple plays go through his hands that he normally wouldn't have, that he's got to pull those down everything. But it was also great to see Julio get into the mix here, win some deep passes, win some chunk plays. Uh, Was about this close to scoring a touchdown, which is like the story of Julio Jones' career. Uh, But nevertheless, yeah, I mean, this was um, a a much-needed good signal out of the Titans' offense. Yeah, on the other side of things, uh, Russell Wilson did – Feed the family uh, in that he converted twenty. Uh, he converted twenty-two of thirty-one, almost three hundred and fifty passing yards, two touchdowns, three sacks. You know he's not happy about that. Not after all that O-line talk over the summer. Um, but he managed to throw touchdowns to both Tyler Lockett and Fred Swain. Fred Swain. Yeah, I thought Lockett was getting another one when I was like, oh, little short guy with the f- number one, uh, like a teen jersey or whatever. No, it was it was. Uh... Oh, Freddie Swaim. Freddie Swaim getting in there. Um, yeah, I know people are still, like, tilting over. Oh, Tyler Lockett, he's inconsistent. Is eventually going to fall away. But I think this offense has smoothed out the inconsistencies of the passing game that we saw last year. Like, I think that the way that they're calling plays in Seattle right now with play action, with up-tempo, everything, it's it's smoothing out. So the, the big plays are obviously still there. If Lockett's drawing, like, 11 targets – 
he's not going to he's not going to be inconsistent in this spot. So like I'm excited going forward. I think you're totally right. That's the thing. You can't be inconsistent. It's not that Tyler Lockett's performance was inconsistent. It's that his volume was inconsistent, but it has been consistent so far in 2021. You mentioned it. Both he and DK Metcalf were tied a piece with 11 targets and they also managed to keep the ground game. This is the perfect harmony that we were talking about last week. They managed to keep the ground game running with Chris Carson finding the end zone twice. Uh, also, Rashad Penny on on the disabled list, like it's not happening. Um, I was yeah. keeping an eye on eye out to see who would be the number two. I had a feeling it was going to be Alex Collins because of all of the summer buzz and all of the preseason reports from various beat writers. But like, I saw one blurb that it was like DJ Dallas. So I picked both of them up and stashed them in that league that we're in together. That I saw the league. transactions. <laughs> I was, I was, I, I mean, I also played JD McKissick in that league and I'm going to crush Dalton. So it's all good. But um, <laughs> I was definitely. <laughs> Shout out to you. Yes, I am due in that league, by the way. But I just want to alert our audience to that because at some point you have to imagine that while Penny's absence means more opportunities for Carson, that's going to be pulled back when we look at Carson's durability. And so you want to find the number two here. And I think it's going to be Alex Collins. He only had one carry. It was for 25 yards. So just something to pin, particularly for people wanting to, or who have benches where they have the depth to stash insurance or extra players. Doesn't it feel like Alex Collins has been in the league for like a hundred years? <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely was like, oh, he, he's back. Fine. I think he's, um, been in the, he's been in the league a hundred years and has been on the Seahawks like four or five different times. Isn't that big? DJ Dallas is like young, but not good. And I remember last season when he missed a block and caused Russell Wilson to get sacked. And I was like, of course, Alex Collins is the option. I mean, there's familiarity with the playbook. Yeah. He's got that kind of like power running, not too creative style that fits with what Pete Carroll likes to do. So anyway... If you have the space and you and you are a, a car and you've rostered Chris Carson and you want to insure him, don't pick up DJ Dallas. That's that's the answer to that. Um, one of the games, one of the most anticipated games on this whole slate was Dallas at the Chargers. Definitely went under the expectation here in terms yes. of total points scored. Two very, very strong games. When I was talking to Austin on Eckler's Edge, this was not in the episode, but we were chatting afterwards, and he was like, you know, this could just be – it's going to be time of possession. The last team holding the ball is probably going to be the one who wins, and indeed, that was what Nailed happened. Nailed it. Oh, good, good prediction there, my guy. Well, well done. Uh, <laughs> no, this was – this was definitely not the the fantasy DFS friendly bonanza that most expected. We just got 37 total points. A lot of it had to do with mistakes, especially on the Chargers side. Los Angeles was penalized 12 times for 99 yards. Not ideal. Justin Herbert had two interceptions, but coming out of this from the LA side, from the Chargers side, like this was Great to see overall from an ecosystem perspective because, you know, Justin Herbert, even in a game where he didn't um, play his best, still had a completion percentage above expectation of 7.2, which was a really encouraging number. Um, the Again, the turnovers were not great, but still, too, like we know exactly where the ball is going in this offense. You know, Keenan Allen goes over 100 yards for the second straight week. Mike Williams, Mike Williams, 10 targets for 91 yards and a touchdown. Um, target leader. Target leader. 
uh, on the day. And and I think through the first two two weeks, right? Probably or close enough. I mean, like Williams is definitely if he stays healthy. I know you said it on FFL this morning that you get that like little every time he comes down with a with yeah. a, like a jump ball, and that's pretty understandable at this point. Uh, you know, but it looks like as long as we get him on the field, he's going to be a breakout player this year. And Austin Eckler, like. I can't believe anybody was worried about Austin Eckler's target total after week one. Like, nine targets in this one. It's fine. Folks were shook. Also, not just nine targets, but nine receptions. Yeah. That sort of efficient. Like, anyone who is that good. And you got Joe Lombardi back there. Come on. Everybody take a deep breath. Um, The Cowboys side of things, yeah. I mean, Dak Prescott only uh, only threw the ball 27 times, very different, obviously, than the Thursday night opener in week one. And I think what was also really interesting in the broadcasting crew, Tony Romo and Jim Nance, mentioned it, a very close to 50-50 split between Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. 16 carries for Elliott, 13 for Pollard. They both find the end zone, but Pollard looked awesome. Went over 100 rushing yards. Elliott just over 70. Um, and, you know, Tony Romo was talking about how they want to save they want to save Zeke. They're looking at the at the long game here. But that kind of performance from an RB2 with that kind of mentality only creates more opportunities for Pollard. I agree. Um on deck Prescott, he's getting the ball out of his hands super fast. He's like the second fastest in terms of time to throw just outside of Ben Roethlisberger. Duh, of course, Ben Roethlisberger's getting the ball out of his hands the fastest of any quarterback in the NFL right now. Uh, so Dak, they are they're making just again more ways to protect him, more ways to be efficient with their passing game. I thought Kellen Moore called a really good game in this one. Tony Romo was rightfully gassing him up. Um, I'm sure they have like you know some connective tissue there as well. You know, Cowboys guys, all that type of thing. But nevertheless, good game overall for the Cowboys offense, and and I do think. I think Tony Pollard could have some staying power because it probably behooves them to not like ram Zeke into the ground. You know, I mean, the guy has logged yep. an absurd amount of touches at this point, which I think can still be fine. As long as the offense is good, Zeke will be fine. Like he scored 90. I scored in this game, 97 total yards. Like we're, we're still looking at a pretty good uh, game out of Zeke here, but yeah, Pollard's got juice. And I, my analysis on Tony Pollard coming into this year and, and, you know, in conjunction, my analysis on Zeke was like, well, like, I'll believe it when I see it, that the like fantasy Twitter clearly right. thinks Tony Pollard is as good as Zeke. Uh, but and maybe he is. But the Cowboys have never adjusted their usage of the players um, to account for that. Maybe this is the start of something new. I do want to be at least open to that being a possibility. Well, right now, Pollard is rostered in about fifth, just over 50 percent of Yahoo leagues. And the Cowboys will host the Eagles on Monday night. In week two. So there's an extra day to recover from this That'll outing. I have a feeling driver. that Pollard, yeah, it's going to be good, right? I have a feeling the Pollard's going to be on a lot of waiver wire slash pickup lists heading into the coming yeah. week. Um, from a receiving standpoint, CeeDee Lamb's still a stud. He's so good after the catch. He's so elusive. Yeah. He converted nine of, he converted eight of nine for over 80 yards. I think the surprise or what tilted people was that. Amari Cooper only saw five targets, caught three balls for 24 yards. I never play Amari Cooper in daily fantasy except this week. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks. So that's on me. That's on me, guys. I'm sorry. That's on me. Well, I'm glad you owned it. Let's talk about DFS because we have this 
supposed get right game for Aaron Rodgers against Detroit on Monday night. Which of these, uh, which of these players from this particular matchup are you throwing darts at? Well, I mean, I think you build lineups with the core of Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, as appealing as Aaron Rodgers is as the potential superstar spot in Yahoo DFS, I think Aaron Jones is equally as appealing. We know the Lions got barreled over by um, fantasy waiver wire hero himself, Eli Mitchell, in week one. Um, Raheem Mostert even took his two carries for 20 yards before bouncing out of there. So I think Aaron Jones is just as likely as Aaron Rodgers to have a massive game. And I, I like just getting the access to all of the Packers' touchdowns. Jones could catch a, cut, a touchdown in this spot, too. So both of those guys, I think you can build around in daily fantasy. The Lions are the more, and Devontae Adams, too. If, well, I mean, you can't really, you realistically, if you're going to put those three all in your single game lineup, then you have to start getting into the, oh boy, do I play Quintez Cephas or I'm on Ross St. Brown discussion? And you don't really, you don't really want to live in that world. Uh, but it is a possible, if you'd like to live in that world, you, we do give you that that freedom here at Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Uh, <laughs> the biggest, the, the question more is about um, the Lions on that side of the ball because Jared Goff potentially could have a nice game in this one. I mean, as as bad as the Packers' offense looked in Week One, their defense looked just as troubling. We we know that they've gotten ran all over in 2020, but um, they also gave it up through the air, obviously to Jameis Winston. That did not look like a good secondary overall. So that's a question. And I, my biggest question though about the Lions overall is, what type of team do they want to be? You know, uh, in the first half of last week's game, they were 17th in terms of pace of play. Or in the second half, they were first. Like, they ended up running over 84 plays. That's probably That probably juiced up some of the stats for guys like Jamal Williams and TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. But are they really going to run through those guys, like, going forward? Because, I mean, there's some appealing price points there, too. TJ Hawkinson, just 20 bucks. Like, I think you could talk yourself into him. Jamal Williams, just 16 bucks. Uh, I think you can definitely talk yourself into Jamal Williams for the revenge game, but it's just really about what type of offense are, are the Lions going to be? And do they have a choice in that, actually, though, if they continue to get blown out? I think that's that's it at the end because I don't, you know, Chris Wesseling used to always say, like, that's fine, and then the games happen, right? So, like, Dan Campbell might want to be this, like, time of possession, pound and ground sort of offense, but I don't think he's going to be able to. I mean, not when they have who, – who's on defense? Akuda's out. Yeah. He, he blew out his Achilles. The defense like, There's stinks. so much draft cap. It's horrible. And so it does make sense. And I am, I want to applaud the fact that this is a guy who, you know, when I look at him, I don't think Dan Campbell. Here's a guy who is flexible and adjusts frequently. But he was able to do that from half to half last week. And so I think, of course, he's going to want to play keep away at the top of the game. And then you'll probably have to adjust. I think Jamal Williams at that price point that you mentioned is awesome, not just because of the revenge narrative, but Zadarius Smith is in on IR right now for that the Packers. That is crucial, yeah. Um, yeah, and so that and, – and DeAndre Swift, like, don't mess with Cephas and Amon Ra. The, I mean, although I'm sure there will be plenty of, like, these two brothers are facing off on in prime time between um, oh, yeah. Amon St. Brown and uh, Equinemius. Even if Equinemius is, like, an, a game is day inactive or something, we're still going to get a lot of hot air about the brother matchup. Yeah, and their dad is like a former Mr. Universe, so there's tons of like fun, I'm sure, Instagram photos to like oh, bake geez, into yeah. the broadcast. Regardless, um, I think when you have Smith missing on the Packers and you have Jamal Williams doing the sort of things that 
NFL coaches like because he is a good pass catcher, because he does run hard, because he is a good blocker. And then you have DeAndre Swift running 46 routes, more routes than CeeDee Lamb did in week one for context. Like now you have something and now at least fantasy managers know where to invest. Yeah. No, I think there's a clear distribute. I just am. Well, I'm definitely willing to chase Jamal Williams in this game overall, especially because the price in, in daily fantasy makes a lot of sense for a guy that's going to get some work. Although AJ Dillon could be sneaky too. AJ Dillon at, at just 15 bucks on the other side. Like I saw, I think both Scott and Dalton are using him in, in their Monday night lineup. Like that is interesting. He didn't get a lot of work in week one, but this could be the type of script where he gets some work in the second half. If the Packers crush the line, like there's a lot of, assumptions going into this game about both teams based on their week one performances. And I wouldn't be surprised if things are totally flipped on, on their head. It's, it's one of those type of games. Well, we are not going to flip on our heads. We are going to remain stalwart and upright because, well, maybe Matt is, we are (laughs) going to, we are here for you though. And you can't, you can't like look to someone who's like wishy washy and like flipping the script left and right. No, 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 no. We are going to be here for you. And that, at least for tonight, is going to do it for us. If you're on Twitter, follow me at Liz Loza underscore FF and follow Matt at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. For fantasy news and analysis from our whole team, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. If you're looking to gain an edge on your bets this season, you'll want to make sure that you're subscribed to Yahoo Sportsbook Daily on Apple Podcasts or Spotify with expert advice across all sports and leagues. They're going to help you win some money, and who doesn't like money? Andy Barons will be back with your week three waiver wire pickups tomorrow. I can't wait to see who's popping on the waiver wire. Until then, we're out.